But they gather together with friends just to have that same uh, mentality of saying, I enjoy being together with people, and, and we don't get a chance to do this very often, so let's get together and have a Friendsgiving before Thanksgiving just to be able to enjoy that. And, and I, I was watching this, I said, you know, I think there's something healthy about that. That as, as we gather together with, with different people, there's something healthy about having conversations, about eating together, and, and just about having that close proximity with other people that is sometimes lacking in our society. I was talking to someone in church a little while ago just as we were gathering together before church this morning, and they're talking about how there's kind of the destruction in the family and how people stop communicating and stop talking. And, and so there's something about Thanksgiving when we gather together, and, and, and I thought about it, seeing all these posts, I said, you know, the cool thing is if we get really plugged in, we have a chance to do that on a weekly basis because that gathering together with people who are like-minded, we in groups we have a chance to do that on a weekly basis gathering together to eat and to talk and and I think if we had more of that in our life some of the internal conflict we experience and also some of the conflict we experience on on a national sense wouldn't be there if we had more of those chances to interact with people so uh, first the idea of, of family and friends the second obviously is food and we eat way too much on Thanksgiving morning I asked a bunch of people this morning, I walked in, I said, so how's your Thanksgiving? And almost to a person, their response was, man, I ate way too much. Uh, it, did everybody eat too much this Thanksgiving? Like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, here is the big debate. I know uh, Thanksgiving, traditionally you have a turkey. Uh, how many people had turkey for Thanksgiving? How many people said, no, I didn't have turkey, I had ham instead? There's a few. How many people said, why'd I have to pick? I had both. That's what I'm talking about right there. And there are different ways to prepare your turkey. You can cook it in the oven. You can deep fry it. You can smoke it. There's all these different things. We gather together, and it's about family and friends, and it's about food, and it's also about what's the third F? Football. Thank you. Nobody in my family, they're trying to guess, like, is it fun? I'm like, well, I, ho- I hope we have fun. I hope that's part of it. And, and they're guessing all these different things. I'm like, what about football? I guess wall-to-wall football all day long, and I think I got to watch, like, two minutes of one game Thanksgiving. But I did get a chance to play a little bit of football, so it all made up for it. Uh, but, but here's the thing, and here's why I tell that. That's kind of our lead in this morning. is because there's something about sport that makes uh, application to our lives very easy. Uh, in fact, when we see analogies used, and, and, and throughout the Bible we see analogies that are used, and, and there's stories or the little excerpts or little things that happen that can apply to uh, something else in life. And when we talk about it in church, we talk about some sort of spiritual application. And so we have these analogies. And, and in the Bible, one of the main ones is Jesus says he teaches. He's living in a, in a very agrarian culture. There were a lot of farmers, and people either knew about farming, they had family members that were farmers, or they were farmers themselves. And so when Jesus taught on parables like the parable of the sower or the parable of the mustard seed, he would tell these stories in such a way that they were really relatable to people because everybody understood them. And, and there was, there was a, a, an understanding that when it pointed back to Scripture, there was some truth that we could learn from, from farming, from their culture, that would apply directly to truth, uh, to the Scripture. And I thought the same thing when, it started, when we started to talk about, because a lot of times, especially in the intro to the sermons, uh, I played a lot of sports growing up. And so a lot of my stories have to do with those sports that, that I played and different stories that I had. And, and I think there's two reasons for it. Number one is because there's, uh, most people have some understanding of sport. Even if you're not a big sport fan, if we talk about boxing, most people understand the basic concept of boxing, which, by the way, the Apostle Paul, which we'll get to in a second, uh, he uses the analogy in Scripture of boxing, and he talks about racing. And so most of us either really, really like sports, we have friends and family that like sports, or we at least understand sports. 
So as we use analogies to have to do with sports, the same way Jesus grew up in a culture that was very agrarian and people understood uh, growing things and, and planting things, we grew up in a culture where most people at least have some sort of understanding of, of sport. Whether they like it or not, they have an understanding of sport, but also because there are a lot of comparisons to be made. When we start to talk about playing sports and, and some of the things that we can learn from playing sports, we start to learn things like teamwork and, and fair play Maybe not in every sport, but, but hopefully in a lot of sports. We see teamwork and we see fair play. And, and we see this idea, and this is so important, we see this idea that if you want to get better in some area of, of that particular sport, it only happens when you start to work at it. I'm not going to show up and, and, and ever have practiced at all throughout a week and, and go to play some sort of game and think I'm going to have success. I realize that the amount of work that I put in is directly relatable to the excess that I have in that area. And it's especially as we start to talk about this idea of, of, of growth, and it's really our big topic this morning, is talk about how, how do we grow and how do we start to have traction when it comes to spiritual growth in our life. The more amount of effort that I put in to make sure I have success, the more amount of success I'll have with God's help, the more amount of success I'll have on the other end. And as we start to teach our children, if you were ever to see a, a young child when they're five or six years old, and maybe they're taking up a sport for the first time, say they're taking up baseball, and I love baseball. So they take a baseball for the first time, and you're starting to teach them how to hit a baseball. It doesn't come naturally right away, but I will say this. Try to teach a five- or six-year-old how to play baseball and give them a year, and they're going to get pretty proficient pretty quickly. Take someone who's 30 years old, who's never played baseball at all before. And they come out, and maybe it's a company softball game. They say, we're going to go out and we're going to play softball. And we're going to try to teach you real quickly how to hit a softball, which is different than hitting a baseball. But, you know, especially if it's slow pitch, you should be able to get some sort of contact. But watch a person who's never swung a baseball bat before try to play in that setting. And how does it work? Not very well. It's awkward. It's clunky. And, and you could teach that person for the next year, hey, here's how you want to swing but the problem is, is that over the course of their life, they've developed really bad habits. And so those bad habits relate. For me, I played a lot of baseball, so that came more natural because I was playing when I was younger. But when I tried to transition when I was 20 years old and tried to learn how to play golf, it was really challenging because I developed bad habits from swinging a baseball bat that weren't relatable to playing golf. Well, the same thing is true when it comes to, to, to our life. We develop bad habits we develop all these things that really make life harder. And the older it takes for us to get serious about our relationship with Christ, the more challenging it becomes because we develop bad habits. But maturity is based upon this idea that if I'm going to grow, I have to remove bad habits from my life, but then replace them with something better. And here's where I think that we miss this, because what we're going to talk about today in this idea of, of internal conflict is that we have become really good. I think the church over the course of the past uh, 50 years especially, we have become really good at saying we need to remove bad habits from our life. But we haven't become good at explaining not only is it about removing bad habits from our life, but it's about replacing it with something better. And this is why this internal conflict that we experience, this internal battle that we face becomes so challenging. It's because we get this list of things that we can't do. And we say, okay, I can't do this, and I can't do this, and I can't do this. And it seems like God's in the business of just robbing our fun. You can't do all of these things. And, and here's what I saw the church do, just kind of studying history and seeing my own experience 20 years ago in church. 
was the church became really good at saying, okay, I can read. There's commands in the Bible. We should listen to those commands. There's commands in the Bible that say don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. And listen, we shouldn't do those things. The Bible says don't commit murder. Don't do that. That's really bad. The Bible says don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't do those things. Those are really bad. But what happened, I, I think, and I'm just kind of looking at history and trying to figure out, okay, how did it get like this? Is the church said, okay, we, we're kind of getting those, those basic ideas down. We shouldn't commit murder. We shouldn't steal and commit adultery and all those things. The Ten Commandments say we should or should not do. But we haven't figured out how to replace those with something better. So let's just start to add to the list of things that you can't do. And so start to come up with another list. Uh, that maybe practically speaking, these are things that are good in people's lives. But they start to add things to it and say, well, okay, and you also shouldn't go to R-rated movies. Well, except for The Passion of the Christ. That's okay, you go to that one. But, but you can't do these things, and, and you can't play cards. I don't even know where they got that one. But I know, I know churches where you can't play cards, and any car, kind of card playing is wrong. They start to add all these things. And, 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 it, and it literally looks like to an outsider looking in, they're saying, wait, you guys are focused on all of these things. But we haven't learned how to replace it with something better. And so someone comes to church. Maybe they've gone to church for a while. And they become a follower of Jesus. But they've, they've never been introduced to this idea that there's something that's better out there. There's something we should be yearning for in our life. And so told, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And they're like, okay, but now what do I do in its place? What do I do that's going to give me the same sort of camaraderie, the same sort of, of passion about life? If I'm just being told what I can't do, I'm missing out on something that's better. Well, growth happens when I remove bad habits from our life and a lot of us we have bad habits I remove bad habits from my life but I replace them with something that is so much better so when you teach someone to swing a, a baseball bat you teach them okay you, you have there's a certain way you do it and if you have these bad habits you remove those bad habits first but now let me tell you how to actually swing because if all I do is remove bad habits I still haven't taught you how to swing a bat well, today we want to talk about that idea. How do we do that? How do we actually swing the bat when it comes to our spiritual growth? So if you have your Bibles open, Romans chapter 7, if not, uh, in just a second, not right away, the word's going to appear up on the screen. But I want to do this because as we talk about internal conflict, we'll get to James chapter 4, which has been the kind of thrust of this, of this series we've been in for the last couple of weeks, going back to the previous series. We're going to get to that. But I think as we talk about internal conflict, there's a passage in Romans chapter 7 that for me, as soon as I talk about internal conflict, I say, this is what I most readily identify with in all of Scripture. When I talk about here's the battle that we face, if today we've made a decision to follow Jesus, the person who in in one short section summarizes this is the battle we face is the Apostle Paul. And here's the thing about the Apostle Paul. He is considered by many to be the greatest missionary, if not one of the best Christians that ever lived. And yet he talks about, hey, as, as a person, I struggle with this idea. I struggle with this conflict that is inside of me, and, and, and I battle this day to day. And so we're going to re- go through this verse by verse in just a second. But before we do that, don't put the words up on the screen yet. Because I want to read through the whole thing. Because if you look at the whole thing, it's kind of confusing at first, but then we're going to break it down verse by verse. He says this in Romans 7, verse 15. And I'm going to go through this kind of quickly, so try to stick with me. We'll slow it down in just a second. But in verse 15 it says this, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. 
Now, if I do not do what I want, it is no longer I who do it, but that sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I do the right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with the flesh I serve the law of sin. There's that passage in there, right in the middle of the section. He says, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And we hear that at first, and it sounds almost like a tongue twister. Like, how do we even understand what Paul is saying there? There's a lot of information. But let's start to break this down, because I think as we look at these verses, as we start to break them down, we start to see both the battle that we face, how real that battle is, but we also, at the very end of that battle, we come up with a, a solution to it that I think for every one of us, if we would just picture this in our life, if we could just figure this out, we would find the way to have success. So Romans chapter 7, let's pick up with verse 15. Paul writing here says this, For I do not understand my own actions. How many of you have been, ever been sitting at work or, or you're sitting at home and something happens and as soon as it happens, your response is not what you anticipated you, you, you were going to do in that situation and you say, I don't even understand why I responded that way. Has anybody ever done that before? Like you had an action, you had a thought, you had a word come flying out of your mouth that you're like, I didn't expect myself to react that way. Like something happened and I lost control for a second. Listen, you're not alone. One of the biggest encouragements we can take is here's the Apostle Paul. Here's this guy who's, who's responsible for 13 books in the New, in the New Testament. He's, he's deep, he's profound, and he understands this. And this is so important because as he, as he has this discussion, which is a philosophical discussion, he's talking about how sin is and the effect of sin in his life. But he says, listen, I understand this, I, I, I get this, that there's a right and a wrong way. And my desire is to do the right thing. We have to arrive at that first. If, if right now you're sitting here saying, I know I'm messing up, I don't really care. Well, then we're not even getting to this point yet. But Paul says, I have a desire to do that which is right. I want to do the right thing. I know that there's a right and a wrong. And in my heart of hearts, deep down inside, my spirit is crying out, saying, I want to do the right thing. But even as I want to do the right thing, he says, I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want. He says, I know that there's something better. And the maturity is removing all those bad habits and replacing it with something better. And I want to do that something better. I want to chase after this. I want to chase out after God's best for my life. I want to chase after what it means to really serve God and serve the people around me. I want to have a good attitude. I want to do the right things. And I want to do that which is better. But I find myself not doing those things But instead, I find myself doing the very thing that I hate. Verse 16 says, now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. Not the thing itself is good, but that the law is good. He says, I want to make sure I do the right thing, and yet I keep doing the wrong thing. I chase after what is good, but somehow in the midst of life, you see, it's really easy. When we gather together as a church and we talk about these concepts, and for me it's even easier. Talk about the encouragement of gathering together with friends and family. It's even easier to sit in groups. On Our group meets on Monday night and we have these discussions. And I leave almost every Monday night encouraged and, and, and being provoked in my life to do that which is better. 
And so it's really easy in gatherings like this to say, yes, we want to chase after what is good. We want to do that which is right. But somehow in the next six days, life starts to intervene. Things start to get in the way. And all of a sudden, even though I, even though I know deep down inside, I want to do that which is right. I find myself over and over going back to that which I didn't want to do, that which I say I hate, but I do that. And Paul understood this basic concept that we have inside of us, for every one of us, we have inside of us a sin nature. That sin, because of Adam and Eve and the, and the original sin, that sin has been passed on to every person lived after that. And so because of that, it takes effort on our part to do good. When we teach our children, we don't have to teach our children to do wrong. They learn that on their own. There's no one teaching them at home saying, hey, I want to teach you how to do the wrong thing. They kind of learn how to do that pretty quickly. We try to teach them how to do the right thing, and it doesn't go away. We become adults, and we know the right thing that we want to do. Like, we yearn to do the right thing. Deep down inside, our spirit is is speaking. We talked about this last week. God's spirit is speaking through our spirit, and we want to do that which is right. Deep down inside, we want that. But somehow, life starts to intervene. And I find myself at, at work, and and I should be focused on a certain thing, and I'm not focused on that. Or I find myself in, in, in home, and I get angry about something I shouldn't get angry about. Or, or, or for every one of us, whatever our vice is, for some people, for, I mean, I think for everybody, when we start to deal with stress in life and, and just feeling overwhelmed, we have that vice that we turn to. Whatever it is, and for everyone it might be something different. But for some people... Maybe it's, it's eating. When you get stressed out, you just like to eat. And Thanksgiving was really hard for you. But when you get stressed out and, and, and eating is, you know, I, I feel like I don't want to overeat and I don't want to eat things that are unhealthy. But if I have a really, really bad day, I feel like I've earned that. And we give in to that vice. And, and you guys laugh because you know that we've all been there. We've had a really, really bad day. And, okay, it's just one candy bar. It's not that big a deal. But the problem is this week I'm going to have six bad days. <laughs> Which means at the end of those days, I'm going to have six candy bars. And, and one candy bar isn't going to kill me, but six candy bars is probably not going to help, be helpful. And so if our vice is, is that, it's easy for us to fall back on those things that we know we shouldn't do, on those old habits and those bad habits. Maybe our, vi- our, our vice is something even more serious. Maybe for us, our vice is viewing things on, online we shouldn't view or getting mad and we shouldn't get mad about certain things. Again, we know we shouldn't do those things. And in fact, when we read these words that Paul says, these things that I hate, those are the things that I'm doing, I think Paul knew the power of sin, the power that sin has in our life. To say, there are things that I do that I know after I do them, I'm not going to like them at all. In fact, I'm going to hate myself for having done them. But in the midst of it, life is so hard that I give in to that temptation and I do the very thing that I hate that I do. And so Paul says, this is the conflict, this is the thing that we're dealing with. And when I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that the, that the law itself is good. And in verse 17, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. In my heart of hearts, deep down inside, my spirit is speaking truth in my life, saying, J.J., you don't want to do that thing. But there's a battle we'll get to in a second, this battle being ra- waged inside of us where members are fighting against each other. And it says, deep down inside, I don't want to do this thing. And when I do it, it's not me that's doing it, but I have this sin nature inside of me. And as long as I succumb to that sin nature, I'm going to keep making those same mistakes. And I'm going to lose this battle of internal conflict, and I have to figure out how to have success when it comes to that. So he says, in verse 16 and 17, the, the, the situation gets more dire, gets more serious. 
And then in verse 18, he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me. But then he clarifies, that is in my flesh. In my flesh, I know my flesh is constantly getting in trouble, getting myself in trouble. I know my flesh is constantly causing me to do things that I don't mean to do, and I want to stop those things. But if I keep giving in, giving in my flesh, there's nothing good that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. So we leave here on Sunday morning, or we leave groups on whatever night that you might meet if you're part of a group. And we leave here saying, okay, I know my marching orders. I know what I want to do here. I want to go out this, this Christmas season. I want to go out, instead of looking out for what I can gain, I want to look out how, for how I can serve people. I want to look out how, for how, how I can love people. I want to just be here to serve. And we leave these messages and we leave these situations where we're encouraged to do the right thing. And we say, man, this is where I'm at. I have the desire to do what is right. Deep down inside of me, this is where I'm at. And I leave here wanting to do those things. But the problem is I don't have the ability to carry it out. I've got rid of the old habits. I want to get rid of these things, but I haven't figured out how to have the ability to carry out that which is better in my life. And when I don't figure this out right here, when I can't figure out this equation, then what happens is I get stuck in no man's land where I say, okay, I'm going to stop doing this. And I get stuck here. And I say, I don't know where to go. I don't know how to get there. And so when I can't get there and I can't experience what is better, then I find myself in the midst of, 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 of life, in the midst of drama of life and all the hardships of life, I find myself, when I least expect it, slipping back into those old bad habits that I never meant to go back to. As Paul says, here's the crux of the issue. Here's what we're dealing with. I have the desire to do what is right, but I haven't figured out the equation of how to carry it out on a regular basis in my life. See, for growth to happen, it's consistently, it's not just one time getting rid of a bad habit and replacing it with something better, but it's consistently doing that, practicing that thing over and over. When I learned how to swing a baseball bat for the first time, and, and I started to have some people who really came in and started to, to teach me some different principles, if I learned it one time and I practiced it one time and I left it and came back two weeks later, I would have lost all the things that I gained. It's consistently practicing those good habits over and over. And so he says, I know there's nothing good that dwells in me that is in my flesh. Um, I have the desire to do what is right, but not to carry it out. Then verse 19, it says, For I do not do the good that I want. But the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. Those things that I keep, I keep falling back in that trap. I keep doing the same things over and over. And I don't want to do those things. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. He's mimicking what he said just a little while ago. Verse 21 then says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. There's an enemy out there. God wants the best. Jesus says, I've come to give you life and give you life to the full. There, he, he came to give us the best, but there's an enemy that's right beside us that says, you think you want what's best, but I'm going to be there to steal, to kill, and to destroy all those things in your life. And so he says, even when I want to do the right thing, evil lies close at hand. Evil is right there. And so I'm always waging this battle inside of my life. And this is Paul speaking, let alone for any one of us. We're constantly waging this battle. And he says, whenever I want to do good, evil is right there. Evil is close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. That's my delight. That's my spirit speaking. I delight in the law of God. But the problem is my flesh keeps getting in the way. When I was 13 years old, I started in high school, and, and I was talked by a friend. I played a bunch of sports, but one thing I'd never done was wrestle. 
And one of, my, one of my neighbors was one, one of my heroes kind of in, in our neighborhood. And he was four years older. And he talked me into coming. He was a wrestling coach next year. He came in fourth in state in wrestling. And he said, J.J., you want to try out for a wrestling team next year? And I said, okay, I'll go do it. And so I tried out for wrestling that year. And, and the thing is, I played a bunch of sports. And it all came kind of natural for me. But I went out to, to wrestle. And they said, okay, one of the first things we're going to work on is, is your fitness. And you're just going to run. You're not wrestling at all. You're just going to run and run and run. That was something I'd never done. I was still very young. And so I had never experienced that side of, of fitness before. And, and so we started running by running around our school a couple times. Well, it was about a mile around our school. And so as we started running, it was, it was a couple mile run each time. And so I started watching uh, some of the guys on the wrestling team who were older. And, and they were kind of the superstar athletes that were really good. And they kind of held everyone else accountable. Then there were those who were middle of the road. And they had varsity and JV together. And so I was, I was on the youngest of the JV team. So I was the guy all the way. You saw the whole team running. And there's a one kid way back at the back by himself. That was me at that point. But I'm watching all these elite athletes. And I'm watching the people who are middle of the road. And, and I'm watching the elite athletes. And they're working really hard. And then I watch these guys who are middle of the road who are still pretty good athletes. But the thing is, as we made that circle around the school, there were corners. And the guys who were directly in front of me, kind of the middle of the road athletes, would often cut those corners. Now, it wasn't that big a deal. Like, like if we were running two miles, those guys probably ran like 1.98 miles. Like, the, the amount of corner they cut was not a whole lot. And so the first time I was running, I was watching them, and I thought, okay, that's... That's a little bit easier. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut that corner as well. And so I watched him cut the corner. I said, okay, I'm going to cut that corner myself. And, and the next time I ran, I said, wait a minute. I'm not saving myself that much work, but I want to be able to say I completed this. And so the next time I ran, I said, I'm not going to cut the corner. I want to make sure that I do this thing right. So I ran the whole thing. And why that became a big deal, because, again, when it was two miles versus 1.98, it was not that big a deal. But before our first match, we were wrestling like our, our arch rival school, and they were a couple of miles from our school. And so our coach said, we're going to do something today. But the day before our first match, he said, we're going to run. Our whole practice today is going to be running from our school to their school and back. It was, it was probably about five miles total. And I'd never run anything like that before in my life. And so, like, I'm again the guy all the way at the back. There's a couple of us all the way at the back, and I'm back at the back, and I'm watching these guys run. And it was all basically one road. The, the main part of the journey was one road. And so they were running way ahead of me and I saw the elite athletes and they hit the school and they turned around and they ran back and I knew I still had probably a mile left to even get to the school but I started to see the guys who were behind the elite athletes and about a half mile before they got to the school they just turned around and they started running backwards not running backwards themselves but, but running back towards the school and I thought man it would have been so easy at that point just to turn around because I knew physically I, I wasn't going to be able to run the whole thing in fact we started to walk a little bit It would be so easy just to turn around. I'm going to be an hour behind these guys anyway. But for me and my friends, we're going to keep going. I want to be able to put my foot on the soil of the other campus and then turn around and and run back. And we did that, and we walked part of the journey, but we want to be able to say we completed it. Well, part of this idea of, of trying to do the right thing in life is it's so easy to cut corners. God says there's something better for us. But when we cut corners, we fall back on those bad habits and we're saying, but our delight is in the law of God. Our delight is in something better. In my inner being, what I want to do, but right as I try to do the right thing, evil is lying so close at hand that I keep messing this whole thing up. Then it says this in verse 23. But I see in my members, that is in my body, 
I've seen my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. He's talking about this battle that's raging inside of us. He says there's part of our members that, that wants to give in. There's our flesh that wants us to give in. And our flesh is waging war with us. It's using these, the, this terminology, using war as an analogy here to say that our flesh is waging war with our mind and with our spirit. Saying you don't want to do the right thing. You want to, you want to give in. You want to cut corners. You have deserved. You've worked really hard. You deserve to give in to that vice just this one time. And our flesh is waging war telling you to do that because it knows... If it can get you to give in one more time, that's one more day you're captive to that sin. That's one more day you're stuck doing that. And the more that our flesh wins, ultimately the more the enemy gets us to be tripped up and to stumble, the more he's holding us captive. And we think there's freedom found in all that stuff, but in reality there's only captivity. And he says that is the battle, that is the war that's being waged. And verse 24, he asks this question, wretched man that I am. Look at how bad things have gotten. Look at how much out of control that I am. And he asks this question, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now again, if, if we're just looking at this and we're supposed to be talking about like Thanksgiving and being happy. And it seems like, man, all this text has been kind of beating us up saying how easy it is to give in. Here's the deal, again to encourage us. Because I think most of us. If, if, if we know there's a right way out there and we're trying to really follow Jesus' path in our life, most of us can understand how it feels to be this way because most of us find us in the midst of that battle day to day saying, I want to do what's right, but I'm not doing what's right. And, and sometimes I think we feel alone thinking it looks like everybody else has this journey figured out and everyone says, I know I shouldn't do these things. I should fill my life up with things like going to church and reading my Bible and praying and, and serving people. And it seems like everybody else has it figured out. And here's the Apostle Paul, this great Christian, who says, I don't have it figured out. And so if you at times feel discouraged and feel alone, we look at this text as complicated as it can be and say, but there's encouragement to know it's, it's not just me. Every one of us experiences these same challenges. And so we ask this question, how am I going to defeat this? Like, I don't know the answer to this. How am I going to defeat this? And in verse 25, he comes up with the answer. And I want to say this as we get, begin to look at the answer, because the answer is thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. The answer to this, how do I defeat this, is, is not some uh, five-point outline, here's what you have to do. It's saying, here's the answer. Jesus can deliver you from the power of sin. And, and here's the thing, as we provide that answer for our lives, uh, for a long time, for those who don't know, for a long time I was, I was a youth pastor, both here and at former churches. And, and I would always talk to students about being careful just to come up with a Sunday school answer, which is just the easy answer, and it doesn't allow us to get deeper down into what the issues are dealing with. We've dealt a, a long time with what the issue is, but you talk to kids, and you ask them a question, and the answer always in a Sunday school setting was always Jesus. In fact, there's a story about a, uh, an elementary Sunday school class that was, was being taught, and the teacher gets up, and the teacher asks the class, who was the first president of the United States? <laughs> and someone would respond, but, but one of the kids is like, well, I know, I think the answer is George Washington, but I know the answer must be Jesus. And I think sometimes in Sunday school, people just assume the answer is always Jesus, so it's just the easy answer. And so he said, we need to avoid just having the Jesus answer. But in this case, Paul's writing saying, here's the biggest conflict that we face. I want to do what's right. I want to get rid of, remove those old habits and, and, and find something better. But I've not been able to come up with a 12-step program to get better in this area of my life. I've not been able to find any other way outside of Jesus himself delivering me from that sin. 
See, when Jesus died on the cross, he did a couple of things. He removed the curse of sin. He removed the punishment for our sin. And he removed the power of that sin. So today, if we are children of God, we have the Spirit of God living inside of us. And it's not saying that every day the battle is going to be easy. Paul says every day that evil lies close at hand. But the power for success and the power for victory is found in Jesus alone. It's not a 12-step program. It's not do this, do this, do this, and do this. It's saying once we realize the Spirit of God lives inside of us, that Jesus has died to set us free of the curse of sin, of the punishment of sin, and of the power of sin, as soon as I realize that, I now have the chance to have success. Whatever it is, whatever sin it is that's holding you back, whatever vice it is that you keep giving into, whatever that old bad habit is, the only answer to finding success in that area is to give our lives completely over to Jesus and say, say I'm, I'm tired of these old bad habits, and I don't just want to kick these old bad habits to the curb, but God, I want to chase after something more serious in my life. I want to find my completion. I want to find my purpose. Thanks be to God that through Jesus Christ, my Lord, I now have the power to defeat that sin, not because I'm a good person, not because I figured out the steps, but because I now, because of Jesus' sacrifice, have the Spirit of God living inside of me, and it's through His Spirit that I can have that success. And so that is a backdrop. Let's turn back to James chapter 4 real quick and wrap this up. In James 4, he'd, he'd been talking so much about the power of the tongue and the power. How do we control that internal conflict in our, in, our, in our tongue? And he says, don't speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against the brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. So he says, as we're talking about trying to do the right thing, and for so many of us, the control issue that we have, the, the internal conflict that we have is not being able to control our tongue. And he says, you keep speaking words of judgment. And if you speak evil against the law and you judge the law, you become a judge and you're not a doer of the law. See, the church became really good at this, saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Do all, don't do all these things. And the church sat back in judgment of the rest of the world and said, look, they keep doing these things. But James here is writing, saying, don't worry about what, what other people are doing. Because when you sit there and you allow yourself to be the judge, that's all you're doing. But throughout the whole book of James, he's been saying we need to be doers of the word, not hearers only. And he says, if you sit back in judgment, you're just a judge. You're not a doer of the law, but just a judge. Verse 12 says, there's only one lawgiver and judge, and he was able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? That's not our place. We're not to sit in judgment. We're to be doers of the word, not just hearers only, and not judges of the law. Then he says this, the first command here is not to speak words of judgment. The second command is not to, to, to boast. He says, come now in verse 13, come now and you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. So the same concepts we read in Paul's letter in Romans, we read here in the book of James. We know to do the right thing, and yet we keep falling prey to the wrong things. Why? I'm convinced for most of us. It's because we intend at some point to get serious about our faith. 
We intend at some point, like at some point in the future, I'm going to fully give my life to Christ and I'm going to chase after him. But right now I'm busy. I have other stuff that I'm pursuing. And sometimes I fall into those bad habits. And at some point I intend to conquer those bad habits. At some point I, I intend to, to get more healthy. Or at some point I, I intend to get rid of those sins in my life and those things that are pulling me back. But right now life is moving too frantic and too fast-paced for me. But at some point in the future I'm going to do that. Like many of you this week. I got a chance to, to unwind a little bit and spend some time with, with my family. And, and, and on Wednesday, we had a chance to go over to visit my parents in, in St. Pete. And, and my older son, Jahid, and I, we traveled over there earlier. And we actually were doing some work around the house. My parents are, are getting up there in age. And especially my mom's health is deteriorating qu- pretty quickly the last couple of years. And so we went over there and we, we helped lay some tile. We got their Christmas tree and put their Christmas tree up. I know it was the day before Thanksgiving. Don't judge me. Uh, had to help mom out on that one and so they love Christmas they always do a big deal but they couldn't even get the tree anymore so we got the tree and put it up for them and did all that stuff and and, and at some point in the middle of the day the rest of our family was joining us later that night for Thanksgiving dinner with that part of the family but at some point in the middle of the day something kind of struck me as as my son and I were sitting there doing the work at my parents' house I said you know it seems like just yesterday I was my son's age at home my parents doing some of the same things but they were a lot younger and I was a lot younger. And James writes and says, life is a, a mist. It's a vapor. Man, it comes and it goes. And I thought, man, it was just me who was the one who's 21 years old at my parents' house. And now I'm, I'm 40. And my son's 21. And it goes by so fast. And we think, well, at some point I'm going to get my life right. At some point I'm going to make these things work. At some point all those things. And then life comes and it goes. And we never get to that point. So today's the day. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. So James writes and says, don't boast about tomorrow. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Today's the day. If we're going to grow and become spiritually mature, today's the day. We can't wait for tomorrow. If we're going to have that conversation and share Jesus with our friend who God's put on our heart, we can't wait for tomorrow. Today's the day. If we're going to go out and seek forgiveness for something that we did well, if we're going to go and forgive someone else, we can't wait for tomorrow. Today's the day. That's us individually as the church. And it's also us collectively as a church. See, if we're going to go out and make a difference in our community, and we do that on a regular basis, but if we're going to go out and say, God, we want to see the, the floodgates of heaven open up right here and see you change and transform our church, we can't wait for tomorrow. Today's the day because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. So James writes and says, make the most of, of this moment right here, right now. In your spiritual growth, don't wait for tomorrow. Tomorrow's never going to come. Do it right now. If you're going to make a difference in your church, don't wait for tomorrow. Right now, today's the day. Make that difference. We do that. We know to do the right thing. And we're saying, I'm not going to, I can't even open myself up to failing to do it. Because that would be sin in my life. Now that I know the right thing, right now, right here, I want to make that decision. And so we're going to wrap up with this. We're going to wrap up with two things. First of all, most of what I talked about this morning was specifically targeting people who are going to church, who are following Jesus. And, and if that's you, the challenge to you today was take your faith seriously. Remove those bad habits from your life. But as soon as you remove those bad habits from your life, replace it with something better. Whatever that better is for your life, whatever the calling is in your life, replace it with that thing that's better right away. Otherwise, I promise you'll fall back into those bad habits. And the second challenge is this. For those who've been sitting on the fence about this whole Jesus thing, and maybe you've been coming to church for a while, 
and you're sitting here saying, I'm, I, I'm not sure, I, I, I hear it, and I understand what you're saying, and it all seems good. But if you're on the fence because you want to hold on to those bad habits, like, I understand that. I understand the pull because there's, there's a, a flesh that's waging battle with every one of us. to Say, but I want to give in to those things, and I want to keep doing those things. But I can promise you this because I've been there before. Every time that I give in to those bad habits, the response afterwards in my life is to say, I hate the thing that I did, even though I keep going back to it. Even, even though I keep being drawn back to it, I hate those things. At some point, it's realizing I'm not going to find satisfaction in these things any longer. And so I have to turn my back on those things and realize Jesus is the one calling me to something better. And when I truly give my life to him, not just through words, but in, in truly giving and in actions, the way that I respond, giving my life to him, saying, Jesus, I now want to give my life to you because I believe you died to take my place and to, to free me from, from the the curse of sin and the punishment of sin and the power of sin, the moment you make that decision, all those old things, I'm not saying they're gone because we battle that, but they pale in comparison to what Jesus offers us. So if that's where you're at right now, if you're saying, I've never made a decision to accept Christ, I would challenge you, don't wait for tomorrow because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. But right now, as we're wrapping up the service, come down, talk to me, talk to one of our leaders. We'd, we'd love to have a conversation with you of what that exactly means, what that looks like to really follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this season we have so much to be thankful for as we think about Thanksgiving and family and, and uh, great food and, and football and all the stuff that we celebrate. But God, as we gather together for this purpose, this is so much more significant. God, we're thankful this season for you loving us enough to send your son to come here to earth to live this sinless life and to die a death where you made a sacrifice for our sins. God, I pray for the person this morning. I pray for the people this morning who've never given their life to Jesus, Jesus, who've held back and said, I'm not sure, I'm not ready. God, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. I pray that today is the day, that now is the moment of their salvation. And God, for those of us who have, who've made that decision, maybe it's been a long time since we've really focused on that. God, I pray that it's time for us to get serious. We have a world around us that needs to have the hope that is only found in Jesus. And God, I pray that that begins with us removing bad habits from our life and chasing after that which is better. God, to lead others in a growing relationship with Him. For God, it's in Him that they'll find victory, but it begins with us getting serious about our faith. So God, I pray that over every one of us this morning. We love you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.